DJ PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. Clean out those 2020. Get them. At, get 2020 out of your carpet. Schedule a no residue carpet cleaning with Zero Res this month and get three rooms clean for just $89.95. Search Zero Res Carpet Cleaning to schedule your appointment or call them at 801-288-9376. Time to bring in John McClain, longtime NFL reporter, works for the Houston Chronicle, been covering pro football for 45 years. John, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. It isn't the biggest game, but it is the best day because we get a doubleheader. The last doubleheader of the NFL season starts with the NFC title game. And I got to say, in the league office, they must be thinking, yeah, this is what we wanted. Tom Brady at Lambeau Field and Aaron Rodgers has thrown 50 touchdown passes. Sweet. Is there a better matchup? I mean, are they just drooling over this? I think with both games, because you have the young stars in the AFC and you have the old guard in the NFC, and I think this is the best possible matchup for Aaron Rodgers because Tom Brady is not going to let weather bother him. You know, he's He's been the greatest January quarterback in history, February 2, and so it's not going to have any kind of effect on him. And what a great way to go out. Rodgers' 48 touchdown passes. Brady somehow 43 through 40, and I I can't wait to see this game. But I'm just as excited to see Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, and I think the the television people and the online people they couldn't ask for better quarterback matchups in these championship games. Both games should be so exciting. It's always a privilege to watch quarterbacks in this era that we have been blessed with, in which they throw the ball all over the place compared to when I started, and they ran the ball a lot, threw a lot of interceptions. But today, the quarterback play is just magnificent. So I'm wondering, Aaron Rodgers just looked like, man, he was the best he's ever been at such an advanced age. How much do you attribute that to our Utah State's very own Jordan Love? And what I mean by that is we know (laughs) that they drafted him, and that seems like that fired up Aaron. The general manager, Brian Gunnicutz, took a lot of grief because he didn't get poor old Aaron some receivers in the offseason. Right. There was so much whining and bellyaching about the Gunnicutz not knowing what he was doing, how in the world was they going to win with one receiver, and he only threw 48 touchdown passes. I guess he would have thrown 58 and broken an all-time <laughs> record had he actually had some receivers. But as great quarterbacks do, and Brady is the best example, whoever you put out there, they're going to make them look good. And maybe Jordan Love was motivation. Maybe could have said, well, you know, Aaron, last year, even though he got to the NFC Championship game, maybe he needs a little motivation at his old age, even though Rodgers has said multiple times he wants to play into his 40s, which means Love's never going to play, barring an injury, and preseason, if we ever have preseason again. So if it was for the mental part of the game, it was a brilliant move. If it was for the physical part of the game, it's a wasted first-round pick because they're not going to get a first-rounder when the time comes to trade it. So I'm curious with uh, Tampa Bay, what do you think is happening here? Because they had a terrible record against the playoff teams in the regular season, but they did blow out Green Bay. That was their one their one breakthrough. They've now won two games, and I know the first one was Washington and a losing record and playing their third quarterback. And New Orleans have won the turnover battle. Do you think Tampa Bay is really an elite championship-level team? And if so, how have they progressed from the regular season so dramatically? I was guilty, like a lot of people were, of thinking, okay, Brady's going to a new team, new coach, new system, new environment, and he's going to be just as good as he was with the Patriots. But because he was working with a totally different coach, Bruce Arians, as you guys know out there, Bruce Arians is a whole lot different than than Bill Belichick is. And so – he was getting criticized for the first time ever. So it took him time to adjust to his receivers. They had injuries at receivers. Their offensive line struggled early, and then it all came together. Now, I don't think their Super Bowl winner would be a great story if they were the first team to win in their stadium. It also would be uh, such a great story to see Brady have a chance to win his seventh ring. But 
I'm certainly not going against the Packers playing at Lambeau Field. I remember in 07, they were favored over the Giants. Giants beat them with a field goal in overtime, went on to win the Super Bowl last year to get to the championship game. They're hungry. Matt LaFleur has done a tremendous job in his two seasons, and it just looks like that team, which is running the ball a whole lot better, uh, and it's amazing because they lost their best offensive lineman, left tackle David Bakhtiari, to the season. So I think the Packers are going to win at Lambeau, which is the greatest setting you could be in in January football because it is the frozen tundra. And I think it's going to be a great game, and I am so excited to watch it. I think this angle is potentially a little overstated, but if the Buccaneers and Tom Brady were to pull this off, do you think that that says, wow, it was more about Tom Brady than it was Belichick? I think it's one season, and and I don't think you can gauge anything. If you did, you'd go back to the season that he went down for the year in the first game, and they went 11-5 and with Matt Castle at quarterback. And you'd say, well, it was Belichick, it wasn't Brady. But Based on this season, because the Patriots had more opt-outs and more free agent losses than any team in the league, and they still won seven games. To me, that was amazing with that roster. The Texans even beat them, but still, to, to win that many games with all the losses they had besides Brady, I thought Belichick did a hell of a coaching job. But, you know, usually you'd say the coach, but in this case, to me, and I've been covering the league since 77. Bill Belichick is the greatest coach in history. And when I write that or say it on my other shows, people are, are incredulous. Well, what about Lombardi? I said he didn't have to deal with free agency and the salary cap. And, uh, and then, of course, I think Brady is the greatest quarterback in history. And, boy, you just look at their record and their rings, and that's easy to ascertain. And, and But I would say overall – Quarterbacks are important, but you can't beat a head coach who can always find another quarterback. And I'm not talking about a one-year stopgap with Cam Newton. I'd love to see Brady win another Super Bowl because of what a great story it would be. So in the AFC title game, I think a lot of Chiefs fans are holding their breath. Are they going to have their guy? Is Mahomes going to be able to go? Do you have any, any insight into that? Well, I fully expect him to play, even though it's an independent neurologist who makes that determination. The fact he was out on the practice field, there were different reports. He did practice. He didn't practice. Usually, as you guys know, if a player gets has a concussion during a game and he goes into the locker room where the independent neurologist gives him some tests, if he doesn't come back, he almost always misses at least one week. Okay, moms went out, and I saw some medical experts talking about, well, it's a different kind of concussion, and he can come back from this. Well, there are multiple kinds of concussions, but if he can be out on the practice field, and I don't care if he's playing underhanded catch on the sideline, if he can just be out there going through the motions, whether it's full drills or limited, that's a good sign for him playing in the game. I look for moms to be out there going against Josh Allen in what should be an intriguing matchup, just like the NFC Championship game. So, John, feel free to tell me I'm nuts and I am crazy and I should be off the air forever. But when I look at Josh Allen, I see a young John Elway. That's a great way to put it. He's got he's a little taller than Elway by about. Elway was six three and six three and a half at the combine, two twenty five. He had as good arm as there's ever been. And then, of course, Brett Favre came along. Dan Marino had a great one. But Elway, that was that famous thing for his receivers, the Elway imprint, when they would hold up their hands for the pass and the ball would hit their chest and go through their pads and put an imprint on their sternum. It was kind of like a badge of honor with their receivers. And then Josh and Elway moved well. You know, he was a big guy who could run, you know, the famous – helicopter touchdown and the Super Bowl victory. We've seen that two million times. And Josh Allen, very interesting about him. A year ago, the Bills came to Houston to play a wild card game, and Allen helped him lead 16-0. Then he just cratered in the second half. Deshaun Watson led the Texans to a come-from-behind wild card victory. And then you wondered at the time, okay, is Josh Allen going to stay the same? 
Is he going to develop? Is he going to take a step back because of this game? And all he did was skyrocket. And a lot of the credit goes to Brian Dable, his offensive coordinator, who I thought sure would get a head coaching job but isn't. So he'll be at Buffalo again, try again next year. But Allen made more improvement than any player in the league. And when you watch the way he runs and you watch the arm and you see him in the pocket and even some of his delivery, that is a great comparison to John Elway. John McClain joining us, longtime NFL reporter for the Houston Chronicle. you got a pretty big story right in your backyard. Deshaun Watson is pretty upset. Are the Texans going to be able to smooth that over? And might a new coaching hire be able to smooth that over? Or is he going to be the rare quarterback? Quarterbacks at his age who have had his success, they don't usually get traded and moved. Could that actually happen? No. It's all in the minds of the national media and media around the country because it makes good fodder for TV shows, talk shows, online. We write about it every day. They've been waiting since the Oilers traded Warren Moon in 1994 to get a quarterback like Watson. He he had a great season. Every statistic was better than any time in his career, and he did it after they traded DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals, and he lost his next best receiver, Will Fuller, for the last five games because of a BED suspension. So Watson was great. And he's, he's under contract. He's, his $156 million extension kicks in next year when his income goes from 10 to $35 million. I saw something on ESPN. He could sit out the season. I'm like, yeah, right. Instead of going from 10 to $35 million next year, he's going to make 10 again next year because you don't get credit if you sit out. He's not like James Harden who quit on his team, quit on the fans, quit on everybody. And it was a really ugly departure out of Houston. That's not Watson. He's a great team player. He wants to win a Super Bowl. He's told us, last thing he told us in our last interview after the season, I want to hold up a Lombardi trophy. His new general manager, Nick Casario's got six of those and six rings, and he can show him how to hold up a Lombardi trophy. And how you get them is you got to start with a great quarterback. So I'm sure Casario will Talk to him about that. So with a new head coach when they are him, I think it'll be Eric Bieniemy, Leslie Frazier, Buffalo defensive coordinator, or Indianapolis defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus. This will all blow over, and there'll be a lot of national media people, ESPN, NFL Network, who's saying he's not coming back. I'm wondering, well, what are they going to say then? So what do you think about the premise of the star player having input in management decisions? He told us when he talked to us near the end of the season and after the season, he had talked to the owner about what kind of quarterback he wanted. And the owner told it was going to be offensive. I'm sorry, coach. Would it be offensive, defensive? And he said it'll be the best guy we can hire. We're going to get a general manager. He's going to do that. He's going to lead the search. And we're going to interview coordinators, the position coaches, former coaches. And Nick Casario was hired. He had a list of five that he's interviewed. And uh, then it came out, quote-unquote, anonymous sources that he was upset, this is in the national media, that he's upset he wasn't consulted on a GM hire. Now, he never mentioned GM does. It's all about the coach and what he was looking for and the culture and the leader that they could follow. And in my 45 years, I've never seen a player have input in a general manager because they don't know what a personnel director does with their team. Nobody does. And so it was all about the head coach. And as the owner said, and as Nick Casario said, of course we're going to keep him up on the conversation about being on our head coaching search. So uh, uh, until Watson says something, which he hasn't, he hasn't issued his trade demand, he's only had two uh, lines from rap songs that people are analyzing over and over and over to try to figure out what he means. One, I went, if I were two, I'm a 10. Well, that was after I did a story with owners saying executive VP of football ops, Jack Easterby, would not be fired, would not resign. And so that infuriated a lot of people here inside and outside the organization because he's been getting ripped for a year. And then uh, people think that he played a big role in the trade of DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals. And, uh, and so that's what everybody interpreted. And then he sent one out this week. Another line for a song, he's trying to be patient, and he's asked Mama to pray on it. And so everybody's like, what in the world? And uh, until he says something definitive, it's going to make great speculation. 
John McClain joining us, longtime NFL reporter for the Houston Chronicle. John Urban Meyer coached at the University of Utah for two years, so he was only in Salt Lake for 18 months, but he left an indelible mark, and we follow him wherever he goes. He's always a story. Can, is he going to succeed in Jacksonville? Can anyone succeed in Jacksonville? It seems like they got one foot in London. It hasn't been a well-run franchise. They've had a couple of peaks, but mostly valleys. What do you expect for him? That's a great point because since Shad Khan bought that team from Wayne Weaver, they've had the worst record in the league. In 2017, when they went to the AFC Championship game under Doug Marone, had a great defense, a good offense. All of us who covered the AFC South said they're built to last. And then all their star players wanted out. They wanted to be gone. And a lot of them are gone. And so I tell people, who's to say this next group of star players, if they have them, isn't going to want to be gone? As far as Urban Meyer, he told the University of Texas when they acquired, he wasn't interested in coaching because of health reasons. So either his health got really got a lot better real fast, or he'd already been talking to Shad Khan. I think he was talking to Khan. Now, he's retired twice because of health. And when you're coaching a bad NFL team, that's, that's gonna, that wreaks havoc on your health as well. So they give him that long contract for all that money. How can they be sure he's going to be there more than two or three years? The key for Urban Meyer is to get good people around him with NFL experience. Will he be Jimmy Johnson come from Miami, win multiple Super Bowls? Will he be Nick Saban, bomb out and go back to college? Nobody knows till he gets there, but he's taking over a bad team. But he can get Trevor Lawrence to start off. He can get a lot of talent. They got a lot of cap room. But um, I don't know that they're going to have to pay a lot of money to get people to go into there and be part of a rebuilding project for a coach who's unproven at that level. It sure is going to be fun to watch because he has left an indelible mark on a lot of places, Florida and Ohio State after Utah. So I can't wait because the Texans will play them twice a year. We'll see who the best Clemson quarterback is over the next few years, and it's going to be so intriguing to watch the development of Urban Meyer. And if he does well, that bodes well for other college coaches, I would believe. John, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and uh, talking playoffs and talking NFL. My pleasure, guys. Thank you very much for having me, and stay safe. John McClain, longtime NFL reporter for the Houston Chronicle. PK, look at that right there. This guy's got decades of NFL experience, and he basically took your quote. Which is? Ah, there's a coaching hire. How's he going to do? We're not going to know until he gets there. Well, that, that, that's obviously been my stance now for a number of years, as you and probably our listeners know, because I think it's been proven out. So I offer no opinion or a minimal opinion when coaches are hired because you just don't know, man. You think slam dunks, great. You think losers, no. You just don't know. And you have to give them, once the person is selected, you have to give them the opportunity to succeed or fail. And they will do it. You will find out. That's the great thing about it. We'll all find out in time. We'll know if Urban is going to be great. I think he's going to be great. But, I I mean, I say it sort of timidly. I don't say it like, oh, my gosh, he's going to be awesome. In college, I can say it because – uh, we've seen that uh, pro. Uh, it's a whole new animal, so I don't know. But you got to give him the opportunity. I'm fired up that somebody of his stature, Mr. McLean. I call him Mr. McLean. That's how much I hold him in esteem, especially when he agrees with me. But he liked you scoffed at my young John Elway comparison to Josh Allen. I do, scoff. I don't like to see people, especially young guys, compared to someone like John Elway. You could be a great quarterback and have a great career and not be anywhere near John Elway. A young John Elway. You're missing the <laughs> descriptive. It's yeah, a well, young the young John, John Elway. Elway was on the way to where? So if you're a young John Elway, you're on the way well, to we there? Well, we didn't know. Well, a young John Elway, we did not know on the way. So, no, I think you're completely baseless. And I actually think you're ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, you need to be voted out right now because I think you're being stupid. John McClain. Not John McCain. John McClain. 45 years. 1977 he's been covering the NBA. NFL. And, NFL. 
Well, yeah, I know. That's what's so great about him is this is because he referenced James Harden. So he has been covering the NBA. I was going to get to the N- NFL. You cut me off. Nice save by me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think when you look at Josh Allen, he screams a young John Elway, not a finished product. John Elway, who I had for years and years as the best. Now I've supplanted him with Tom Brady. Yes, I have said that, uh, and I have no problem with that, with Brady being put ahead of Elway. But for years and years, to me, it was John Elway. He embodied everything that a quarterback had. Obviously, he had the arm. He had the arm, and folks uh, who've done that tell us to the arm of you know no peer, basically, Uh, during his day but he could move too he was a phenomenal athlete he was drafted by the yankees i was in california in the san fernando valley one time i've told this story and i was reading he was a high school player and in those days i had heard about john you don't now everybody knows him their their games are on espn and blah 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 but obviously at that point you didn't know about uh, there was was such a regional thing and i read the la daily news where the coach of uh, he went to Granada Hills High School because my good friend, my good friend, his name is Wayne, went to Kennedy. They were rival high schools. The quarterback at Kennedy was Ramsey, who played uh, in the NFL. I think he went to UC Los Angeles. He did. And yeah. Elway was the quarterback across town at uh, Granada Hills, and that was the community. And he played baseball, Elway did, came in, and he won the city title over Crenshaw, which featured Daryl Strawberry and I think three, or two or three other guys who played in the big leagues coming out of Crenshaw back when African-Americans played baseball to a much greater degree than they do now. But anyway, the basketball coach, Elway didn't play basketball that year. And I read a quote, the, bat, the high school basketball coach, oh, we would have won the city title if John Elway had come out and played on our team. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that's how much athletic ability he had. And I look at Josh Allen, and he's huge, big arm, and he can move. It, the qualifier young has to be placed in front of in order for that comparison to be legit. Because I agree with you that at this stage, you can't compare him to the second greatest, the third greatest, whatever it might be, Hall of Fame quarterback. But if you qualify it with Young, I see similarities. And this esteemed man, John McClain, 45 years covering the NFL, would agree with me. And my day has been made. It's only 8.30 in the morning, and already... I'm satisfied. (laughs) That was a nice rant. (laughs) All right, well, five Super Bowl trips and two Super Bowl titles. We'll just mark Allen down for that like it's nothing. No, young. He had none of that at this stage. If you'd gone with poor man's John Elway, I'd be with you. No. Because I do see the parallels, but Elway, that is... Man, you are putting him way up on the podium when you say John Elway. Three years into it, I don't think you are. That's my whole point. You're looking at the entirety. I'm looking at barely getting started. DJ and PK, my day will be made next. PK's day has already been made. But Chris Hill will join us to talk Pac-12. Where do they go now? The commissioner is out. The count, well, he's not out, but the countdown is on. He'll be out June 30th. They got a TV contract coming up. Who should be hired? What are the multiple issues? Some of them, I'm sure we know. Some of them may be really important to athletic directors and schools, and we don't realize it. We'll talk with Chris Hill about that next. The guy who's actually hired a commissioner is right in the middle of it when they started the Mountain West Conference. We'll talk with Chris Hill next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Matt Harbrink, can this team keep shooting the ball as well as they've been as of late? I think so. I just think that, you know, what Dennis Lindsay kind of built this team around was a bunch of shooters. And, you know, rarely, though, they've taken the shot that you would consider a bad shot. You know, they're very precise in what they want. They want the corner three. They get the corner three. You know, on teams and scouting reports, you can kind of pick a guy that says, okay, we're not going to go fully out on this guy if he gets the ball from three. You can't do that with the Jazz. you got to guard all the shooters on the court. It's one of those things that picks the poison. If you're going to not leave the shooters, then you're going to give up a lop at the rim, or you're going to give up a floater with either Donovan or Conley, and then if you help in on the, the pick and roll, you're going to give up a three-point shot. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network.
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to welcome back former University of Utah Athletic Director Dr. Chris Hill. Chris, good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. No problem. I have to say right now, and I've already had other people say this to me. Okay, Jake, our producer. Commissioner Chris Hill. Doesn't it have a great ring to it? <laughs> Commissioner Chris Hill with $5 million next to my name? Of course it does. <laughs> okay, there you go. I like that. <laughs> and, you know, everything else. But anyway, All right. times. All right. Well, before we get to that, I, I'm curious uh, the way this all played out. And because you know a lot of the players and because it's so easy to text and communicate, I'm thinking that you're not fully informed, but you're probably not completely uninformed either. In retirement, you still have a passing curiosity because you, you spend probably more than that, actually, uh, because yeah. you spent so much time working on this. But yeah. when you look at it from the perspective of, you know, the ADs around the league who you know, was this, a, was this a long time coming? Are they relieved it finally came? Did they expect it earlier? Did they think it was still a year off? You know, I, I, can, speak, I can speak for me, and, and I know the other, the other ADs out there, the boat that I knew that moved on other places are there. They're in a difficult spot. But I, I can tell you that most everybody, including you folks, you knew that this was probably the timing that was going to happen and the president was going to make a decision and Larry was going to do his thinking on it. And, you know, this came down, and I'm not surprised at the timing at all, given the TV stuff. So you've been involved in a lot of things over a three-plus decade career, so I think you can speak to this. Going forward now, he's going to stay on to the end of June, so they'll start the process to get someone in there. How is that process, do you believe, going to work? Well, I guess from my standpoint, it's going to work that they're going to get, which I have a little challenge with how these things are done now, is that uh, they'll get a search firm. Uh, the search firm will vet a lot of people, talk to a lot of people. The the presidents have probably an executive committee. I think they do have three people. I'm forgetting the Washington state uh, presidents on it, whatever. And they'll vet people out, and the presidents will then make decisions. And I just hope that they make sure that they don't have a search firm, give them all the names and not come up with their own or try to recruit somebody. You know, I came from the theory of coaching is that you you have your eye on people always, and then you use a search firm to help you find out what they're making or organize a travel. But at the end of the day, you may take suggestions, but you really want to be out in your mind recruiting the best you can. So with Larry Scott out and the fact that as Pac-12 commissioner, he came from uh, professional tennis. And I've read a lot of stuff that says, in addition to the obvious issues with TV and the obvious just personal style issues, that a pro sports guy didn't completely get what was going on in campus, and there was a disconnect there. So, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So going forward, there's two ways to go here. One, you get someone who's got a little bit of college experience, but primarily is on that broadcast TV, and now we have to throw in streaming side of things. And they really know that because the Pac-12 just has to get they have to get that right. right but there's also right. the thought that they need someone who's primarily college oriented who gets what's going on on campus because there's been such a disconnect but has like secondarily is very strong in that whole broadcast streaming television world do you put do you prioritize one of those over the other i i first of all you need somebody that's been around team uh team sports and you need somebody around that knows about football Okay, because let's be honest, that's that stirs it pretty big. And then I uh, I think you find the most talented person. Everybody has to know about TV now. Everybody has to have people in the business that they can count on that know every little detail about it. So I don't think you need to know every little detail because once you do your TV contract, as you know, boom, it's done for a while. So it's not like you're going to be sitting there with all these great TV background, but yet all of a sudden you got to make things work. I mean. So I think you need somebody that has a, a lot of experience in sport, team sports, but also has a college flavor to it. Otherwise, the campuses, uh, you know, just I think uh, in the past felt a little disenfranchised. And there's nuances on campus that people don't understand. I mean, they just don't get it. And uh, especially dealing with the big time sports and what's needed there. And, 
you know, who's going to attack the football playoff and say, hey, we got to go to eight? You know, let's be honest, guys, for a lot of reasons, not the is uh, in the best favor of uh, the Pac-12, that's for sure. How much do you think that the conference has got to get it right from the perception-wise in terms of what they were paying this guy seemed to be outrageous, the rent that they were paying in San Francisco and all that. Do they have to clean it up and make sure their perception is that they're really on top of it because it doesn't look good? Yeah, you're right. You're right on the mark, Pat. I mean, they have to change that image of, you know, it's a, it's a champagne office, you know, and uh, they got to change that mindset that, of course, it needs to be top flight and all that. But the, the mindset's got to be, all right, this is what we got to do. But how do we help these schools and listen to these schools to understand how we can win and get better and not spend time on too much fluff, if you will? So I think there's going to be a big push going forward, and I think we're already seeing it around the edges of some rights negotiations to put a lot of sports on streaming. It's the future. NBC's launched Peacock. CBS has got their deal going. Obviously, ESPN Plus has been up for a while. But the risk for the Pac-12 is, yeah, you'll get money for go to, to streaming, but it can reduce visibility quite a bit, too. You get more money out of fewer people. What is the future there, and which way do you think the conference should jump on that? First of all, I think they should not have seven networks like we had. Yeah. All right? I mean, I think that, and that was defended and defended, and, you know, it was a frustrating saying, hey, can't we get these sports on a different way and a less expensive way? And, uh, you know, that kind of didn't really uh, get investigated to what I thought. We, we tried, but I, I don't think it got really on the table. But I think you got to go, you can't get away from the brand of ESPN. You know, you can't get away from that brand. If you do, I think you're in trouble. So somehow you've got to figure out how to do both and uh, also figure out the third-tier rights. How are we going to do it? You know, the Big 12 has their individual schools do it, and they make some money that way. Uh, who do we partner with? Streaming, you've got to – you're absolutely right on the mark there. That's, that's a, a huge deal, but the Pac-12 needs exposure. Yeah, that's for sure. There's no question about that. Yeah. Uh, Going forward, uh, it, it was at least a perception-wise to one degree or another, depends on the beholder, but it was thought that uh, Larry Scott was arrogant and, and sometimes could be gruff and that type of thing, and there was a thing involving you that came to light back in the early days. How much does this person have to be a politician? Oh, a lot. Yeah, it has to be a politician with everybody, though. You know, and, and God under, has to understand how decisions are made on campuses. And so uh, that person has to be a, a big-picture person and, and also somebody that knows what's going on on campus and knows the college nuances. You know, and in this day and age where things are changing, you know, with the, the uh, likeness and image stuff, I mean, that whole stuff has changed so much in the past five years that you've got to be on top of it and be able to support the schools in it. Chris Hill joining us, former Utah Athletic Director. Larry Scott is out as the Pac-12 uh, commissioner. You know, the SEC, it's, it's amazing the p- way they position themselves over the last 15 years because they are definitely in a different place than they were. And a lot of people say getting a national TV game on CBS in that 130 time slot every week, it didn't matter how bad the bottom of the league was, the top of the league made the league look good in a time slot when everyone could see them. Well, they've walked away from that time slot to partner with ESPN. There's probably a lot of good reasons to do that. Do you think CBS is going to stay in, and is that something the the Pac-12 should go after? Because most other people are signed up right now. It's not that CBS has a lot of options for that time slot. I mean, they could do more PGA Tour, I suppose. Well, you, you, you know, you do need to you do need to go after that. I mean, it'd be crazy not to, uh, in some form. Uh, you know, CBS. I can't speak for them, but college football's hot. Mm-hmm. Even though we've had this crazy, crazy year. I mean, next to the NFL. That's a pretty darn good property to have. And, uh, you know, I think that it, it may, or may, not happen, may or may not happen, but you've got to go after it. So if all goes according to plan, next season, Clemson and Alabama, their starting quarterbacks 
will both be from Southern California. And the reason why I bring that up, mm-hmm. I'm wondering how difficult is it going to be for whoever the commissioner is to get Pac-12 football on par nationally because everything has changed now. The world is so much smaller. Every game is on television. And if these two powerhouses literally as about as far away as you can get from Southern California can go in and raid not only the two Pac-12 schools that are right there, two to the north, and then the rest of the conference, how difficult does that make the job of the Pac-12 to be able to be where it wants to be? Very difficult. I mean, very difficult. I mean, I, I worry about a lot of things with, with that. You know, the SEC, besides all the things with TV, they just have crazy support. Let's be honest, crazy support. And in the West, that's not the case. And that's not going to change in terms of, you know, in general, uh, losing team, losing uh, players from California to the SEC is really, really a huge problem. And, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, USC's got to win. They're ones that can't be uh, continuing to be disappointing because they are the, the name brand along with UCLA and Washington, Oregon. You know, and the Utes are, you know, right there in terms of how they play, you know. But uh, they can't keep losing them. And I think part of it is trying to get a winning team on the top. But we've got to figure it out. And part of it's TV. It's the whole thing. You know, does a kid feel like, well, you know that. I'm telling you, and you know what I'm saying. You guys yeah. understand it. Yeah. So Kyle's part of the problem. He keeps beating USC and winning the division. That's a yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. <laughs> you know what I always say? We weren't minding ourselves, were we? Hmm. We, we didn't behave as we were supposed to when we got in the league and we continue to be in the league. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not team players by winning. <laughs> We saw this year there was a couple of games. The Utes had one of them, and then the the Devils and the Trojans had the other. That nine o'clock start in the case of uh, Colorado, I think, when the Utes went over there was ten o'clock with the time change on Saturday morning. Uh, is that something that you would favor for the conference to try to get as much exposure in that window as possible? I, I, I especially think the ten o'clock game in the Mountain would be, you know, once a year. I think our fans could do that. We'd have to figure out how to have how to win the game and then have the celebrations after. Uh, you know, I mean, it's tough in, in Utah with the, you know, the, all the little league soccer stuff and all that. But I think getting one time on a national TV at noon uh, back east would, would be great. You know, uh, again, it makes it tough on the fans. But, you know, with being retired and the game starts at 830, I'm sitting home and saying, geez, would I really get up and go to the game now off this couch? So it right, works both right. ways. It works both ways. Yeah. And our fans have to understand the windows that are out there and be realistic. But I think that's worth an experiment. PK loves the baseball analogy, so I'm going to make one right here. When the Yankees were winning a lot, late 90s, early 2000s, there was this kind of fatalistic, they're always going to be there. Because when you've got that much money and you're really smart and savvy with it, it's an awesome combination for you and it's terrible for everybody else. And I look at the Pac-12 now, and there isn't as much passion for college sports in this part of the country. Maybe people move around more. Maybe it's because all the major markets have the NFL. Um, There's just fewer people in this part of the country than there are in other time zones and other portions of the country. How much are the Pac-12 fans grinding their teeth about stuff that really can't be changed? Because the SEC has now really leveraged its power in a way it wasn't doing 20 years ago. Yeah, I think we I think we made it as a league one of the best opportunities we had uh, didn't get done. And, and the way we played Michigan was there was going to be a twelve uh, pack uh, Big Ten twelve team versus Pac twelve ten teams every year, six home, six away, guaranteed, and it would we'd be able to sell it to our TV market people. So with us having a a non conference game with the Big Ten every year be it home or away, that was a chance to grow our brand. And that opportunity slipped through the fingers. And uh, I thought it was going to happen. I still think it should have, even if we had to reduce a game in the league from nine to eight and guaranteed nine games that way. But that's something that didn't get flushed out, you know. But um, so that that makes it tough, you know. There's things that we need to do, though. But with the one of the other problems we have in a league is you kind of teased about it, about Kyle's – we do have a lot of depth, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, and, and the trouble is that kills ourselves. And then you also um, have nine games. Not everybody has nine. 
you know, and uh, you guys know I've talked about this. There's always a debate. Do you play a much rougher schedule or do you play a lighter schedule? And, you know, the Utes, if we would have beat, uh, who was it, Washington or no, Oregon this year, right? We beat Oregon, we'd be in the four. Uh, most likely it would have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we, and we didn't have a killer schedule, uh, but a, a Pac-12 team's got to be undefeated non-conference and then hope they only lose one game. But it's scary with the, with the interest and all that. It really is. You guys are right. And my understanding is high school football in California is dropping. What do you mean dropping? The number of people participating. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's one of the places in the country that's dropping. It's happening all over the country in certain areas, not in the SEC mm-hmm. but, and Texas, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it's happening in places like California. So you speak of, you know, the Utes having an opportunity there if they would have beat Oregon, and then you speak of how the conference is playing nine conference games. Well, you can argue Oregon, if they would have beat the Utes, they would have gotten in right. because they well, they lose uh, a game earlier. What was it, to Auburn, Auburn uh, at the beginning of the season? And then the conference sort of devouring of itself. The one thing that this conference tends to have is very good skill players and so they get good quarterbacks, they get good receivers and those types of things. Oregon goes down to Tempe in the next to last game of the season. The Sun Devils are on, a, I think, a four-game losing streak. And out of nowhere, they end up beating yeah. the Ducks, and that keeps the Ducks out. And they, they win the game with a, a kid named Ayuk who makes a great catch, and he ends up being a first-round pick. So I'm wondering if the conference should make an emphasis on football Maybe to the extent of you know reducing a game, maybe uh, toning down the schedule. You look at what SC or not SC, the SEC does. They put the Citadel in there for Alabama before it plays uh, Auburn. Well, the conference in the Pac-12 makes the Ducks go to Tempe before it plays Oregon State, and they lose that game. Whereas in the SEC, they're only playing eight, and they're playing a cream puff late in the season, which is essentially a bye. So maybe the conference needs to rearrange and get off the idea of we're a comprehensive athletic conference. We're the conference that wins all the titles. Yeah, and they do in all these other sports, but the one sport that counts the most, they're coming up short. So maybe have a philosophical change. Well, first of all, the, the, the Conference of Champions thing is real, but it's yeah, not it something you need to support like crazy because that brand is already out there in the country. They know we have that, know we have great academic institutions. So you could still have that be one of your monikers or one of the things you brag about, but at the end of the day, you've got to do just what you said with football. And, you know, it's all connected. I mean, dropping from, you know, nine games to eight would hurt the TV contract because the guaranteed games, and it's hard for the Pac-12 schools to get, you know, Big Ten schools in their in their market then, but at the same time it can be done, and you, you look at the schedule and it's a lot more it has to be a lot more nuanced than people think. I mean, if Oregon would have uh, played Minnesota, let's say, rather than Auburn, and they were head to and they won that game, you know what a difference that would have made. Yeah, they still would have had a Power Five game, and you don't want to avoid those because it's a big national brand for Oregon to do that. But at the end of the day, if you have to put all your energy into being one of those four, then your schedule may not be as good as you want. And, and putting all your energy into that's tough. That's why I said if they got to go to eight for a lot of reasons, and eight would be spectacular for the Pac-12. That would be a thing that would help get them in that group. Chris Hill joining us. Do you think the conference office needs to leave the Bay Area just, yeah. just the city proper should have moved to Salt Lake or Phoenix or even Las Vegas has been mentioned? Yes, yes. I, I think they – I don't know if they can get out of what they did, though, with the real estate contract or whatever. But, you know, it, it's – again, we get back to both the reality of the money, but you also have the, uh, the image of the whole thing. You know, you know why, why are we in, you know, the downtown San Francisco in a she-she kind of place? Did they say she-she anymore or not? I think we, we know now. what you meant. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I, you know, I, I used to have with a staff all the time. I'd tell some joke about Yogi Berra, and then I realized that most people didn't know who Yogi Berra was. <laughs> One of the great philosophers of all time, too. Yeah. Well, Commissioner Hill, we appreciate a few minutes. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's good to visit with you, and uh, stay safe. Uh, I have my... 
first shot this week, and I'm just uh, staying six feet away from everybody and washing my hands and putting my mask on. And, and as I never leave you without a political thing, man, yesterday was a great day. there you are all right all right thanks chris you guys take care all right chris hill former utah athletic director ready to move the conference office ready for a big i thought he hit that hard the big 10 pac-12 challenge you got to get the pac-12 teams back in that part of the country winning games and building the brand for the whole league oh i think they could win those types of games i mean the big 10 obviously Ohio state is the top dog but the rest of them, I think there's teams that can compete. We've seen it on an individual basis. Yep. Uh, the Utes beating Michigan, the Sun Devils beat Michigan State, and so forth and so on. All right, DJ and PK coming up. Craig Bowlerjack will be here in 15 minutes. Jazz and Pelicans tonight. TNT game. We'll talk with Bowler in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Head basketball coach at Utah State, Craig Smith, with us here on The Big Show. I got to tell you, it feels so good to talk to you guys. It's not happy to be bogged down by talking to Scotty Gerard um, all the time. Coach, let's talk about your team. 36-9 and in Mountain West play, 21-2 and at home, and two-time Mountain West Conference Tournament champion. What's going right up there? You know, coaches do your best to put guys in a position to have success. But basketball is a player's game. Players got to go out there and defend hard and rebound and make the decision on the offensive end. We've been fortunate to have some very good players that have really bought in to what we're trying to do on both sides of the ball. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK want to remind you that Valentine's Day is not far away and flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers, a longtime partner with The Zone, can make it easy. Visit them at jimmyflowers.com. Remember, Valentine's is on a Sunday this year. Jimmy's Flowers, and you can order at jimmysflowers.com. Oh, yesterday was a great day, wasn't it? <laughs> and why was that? I watched it all on state-run TV, otherwise known as CNN. <laughs> What'd you do that for? It drives you nuts. You want to be driven nuts. Well, I mean, I just thought I'd have to give equal time, since Chris Hill's obviously a Democrat. Uh, and it was a great day, I and mean, he was being political. I have to present the other side. It's the fairness doctrine, right? <laughs> the fairness I, doctrine got trashed decades ago. <laughs> that went out, like, in the 80s. I didn't watch inauguration four years ago, and I didn't watch one second of it yesterday. My wife was just, surprised. My wife was surprised. She said, did you watch any of it? I said, do you know I've never watched any inauguration? I got a text in the I'm, middle of our I'm, show from my wife yesterday. Hey, are you watching this? I'm like, dear, we are on, on the air. air. <laughs> I've never watched any of it. And then I saw a clip of it later, and they're walking down the street waving. I'm like, who are they waving at? I thought they didn't let any people in there for the parade. I guess they had selected VIPs uh, or the, something. All the, uh, the military that was all over the place. Yeah. I guess maybe they're waving at them. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't yeah. See it. She said the military and selected VIPs, I guess who had been vetted, were allowed in. I don't know how many of them there could be. Well, Anyway, it was a TV show, yeah. so they had to walk down the street for TV, I guess. Cause you people got what you wanted, so now we go forward here. <laughs> <laughs> You're so happy with you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's public record, man. Don't blame oh, me. Man. For some, their day was ruined, and for others, it was the best day ever. <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> and that'll be true tomorrow, and that'll be true the day after, and that'll be true four years from yesterday. And for the rest of us, we realize if I want my day to be good, I better roll up my sleeves and make, make it good. Make it good. Make it so, yeah, It's Obi-Wan. up to me. I believe in the individual. I'm a living, breathing example of it, good and bad. All right, we got Craig Bullerjack coming up here in a minute. The Jazz on a win streak. Uh, we got some uh, college games tonight. We got the Cougars, who should be going on a win streak, don't you think? If, if I offered you a bet, a 13, 13 game win streak, they've got 11 more games before they play uh, Gonzaga in the finale. And they've already been to St. Mary's. So they're probably going to be favored in the next 11 games. Would you take BYU to win all 11? Or would you take BYU to lose at least one game? Will they have a 13-game winning streak when they go into that Gonzaga game, yay or nay? Uh, my instincts say no. You mess one up just because stuff goes up. wrong sometimes. 
Yeah, and then plus you don't know it, who's going to be available. You have got injuries. You've got COVID. It's the great, I don't want to say equalizer, but it's the great wild card. up your plans. It's a wild and card. And then if you should miss a couple of games, and then you're, you know, basketball is a rhythm sport for sure, as are a lot of them. And some of these teams, you know, just haven't been out there. They've played one, two games in three weeks or something. Yep. Weber State. That, that's just impossible to have any type of flow in a sport that I've always believed, particularly in basketball, you cannot just throw guys out there and expect them just to just kick butt. You need to know, look no further than Mike Conley. I mean, Mike Conley is so dramatically different this year than he was last year. It is so obvious. It just jumps out at you anytime you watch him. We've watched every single game. And so you look at it. And, okay, what's the big difference? Well, I think the fact is he's playing with these dudes here, and they just add favors to the mix, and that was it. And favors is not really going to have an effect on how Conley plays. So it's a big difference. So who knows? They may have to miss a couple of games. You know, they already did. They missed that one road trip, the Pepperdine-San Diego one, if it happens again. And just expecting teams to win 13 games, I think the conference has enough teams that could beat BYU if BYU's having an off night to where it's not just an absolute gimme. And that's exactly the way I would want it to be. I wouldn't want BYU or any team for that matter to really stink but still win because the other team stinks more. That just doesn't bode well for your conference. So I do think there's a couple of teams that are capable of beating the Cougars if the Cougars should be off. I mean, they've had the the last couple of games, they had to grind to a good extent. Mm -hmm. It's not like it came easy. Tonight, Mike, tonight they're a 22.5 point favorite. Yeah, I mean, that's a different story, yes. Actually, we have someone here who wants to know, uh, are are they going to cover the 22.5? I would never bet on basketball. It just seems so stupid to do that. Yep. Because you can be up by 30 and put in the scrubs and win by 17. Right, yeah, so who knows. Uh, And you can backdoor it, too. You might be up by 15, and then at the end they foul, and all of a sudden you're there. That's why anytime I'm in Vegas during the basketball season, I just I like to loiter the sports. I've literally <laughs> never bet one cent. But you get to watch I, other people stress about their tickets. Yes. <laughs> you don't yes. have to get one of your own. Let them right. entertain you for free. I've never bet on a sporting event. I mean, doing with a buddy or something. I'm not. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about formally going to a window in a sports book. I've literally never bet one cent on that. All right, DJ and PK, uh, not only is BYU a 22.5-point favorite, the Utes, the Utes are favored by 2.5 tonight. Well, they're due. I mean, the talent's there. They're due. Wouldn't surprise me if they won by 20. No. 20. Wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if they lost by 20. They're the Utes. <laughs> Anything is possible. Yeah. Aggies are an 8-point favorite tonight against CSU. That game is at 9 o'clock Mountain Time on FS1. Scotty G will have the pregame at 8.30 here on The Zone. He'll be on 1280 The Zone. The Jazz will be on 97.5 The Zone. They're on TNT tonight, so it's a little late, 8 8 o'clock tip-off. Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Jazz, joins us next.